thank you, Ben. And I want to say something. Right. I, I want to say thank you to Amy over here. Y'all don't even know who this is. Amy, and every, for several weeks she just shows up and does. She's, are you saying your own name there, Amy? Are you doing that? Yeah, you are. Can we just say thank you to Amy and her hand? Like, this is amazing. You know, just amazing. And uh, I know there's some of you online that are watching, and uh, you know you have hearing deficit issues. And uh, Amy, it's just a gift to us and a gift to you, and we hope it, it is meaningful to you. You connect with her uh, because not just just with her hands, but her whole body. It just lights up. I love watching her and how, how she does that. Uh, hey, if you're in the okay, <laughs> so uh, hey, if you're in the house, I want to I want to welcome you. I want to tell you something that love is uh, during this COVID-19. Uh, love is that if by chance, or oh, you're in the sanctuary, or you're here in the art, if this following week you test positive, uh, let me tell you what love does. Love calls the church, and you let us know that you were tested positive. And it's no shame, no blame, no big, terrible thing, but it's a gift for you to let us know so we can let people know who may have been sitting around you. So I would just ask that you do that as we go through this. Just, just a small little ask. You're doing a great job, I would say, by the way, with all the protocols and everything and the way you're loving and respecting each other. But just kind of wanted to share that with you. And if I want to say those that are online, I want to say so thankful that, that you found us, however. And if you're at home and you're still waiting, you're still waiting, well, you know, it's okay. You do what you need to do. We have a place for you when you're ready, whenever that is. We have a lot of room in the ark and in the sanctuary. We can spread out. we got room on the track. And so we're not turning anybody away. No reservations. We'll make it happen. So when you're ready. Uh, but if you're not, that is okay. And if you're worse with us because you online and you're in another state, you're in another city, uh, man, it's, it's really cool uh, that you had chosen to be part of this body of Christ. And I especially want to say to anyone in the room or online, if you're not sure you believe in God, you're not even sure if you know that this thing, God, is real, and this thing really is the Bible, the Word of God, you're also, you're welcome here. And, uh, you're welcome here to wrestle, to struggle, I'll just kind of question, do all that stuff. It's an honor to come alongside you in this journey just trying to figure some things out called life. If you have your Bible, your phone, you want to find your, your message notes or the, the scripture, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. You can find it in hard copy, you can find it in digital copy, however you want to do that. You can click uh, to find that place, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, table of contents is a great thing to do. And we're in the second week of this message series, uh, we're calling Love's Playlist, having a little fun. We think church can be fun, you can play different kind of music in church, we think that's a cool thing to do, and even learn something from it. So this is the second week, and the homework I've asked you, I've asked you to please consider, read 1 Corinthians 13 every single day throughout this series. You're going, wow, man, that's a lot of reading the same thing over and over again. Uh, we live in a world where I'm not sure we really know what love is. And you think this is about a little wedding. This is not about weddings. This is not about dating and romance. It certainly has application, but that's not why it was written. It was written to messy, difficult people who are making a mess of their difficult world. And we're doing a pretty good job of that right now. Messy, difficult people making a messier world even more difficult. And so I would just ask for you to consider, besides doing your life steps, to read 
every morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's my suggestion every morning. You can read it when you want. My suggestion. And over the course of time, just see how it will begin to shape and impact you. You think you know this passage, but maybe you really don't. And it might rub off on you and how you impact and treat and receive uh, from other people. So let's begin with prayer. God, we thank you for this book, this way that you speak to us, this, this constant truth of who you are. And not just who you are, God, but who you call and want to shape and mold us into being. So speak a fresh word, again we ask, not just touch our minds, God, but touch our hearts, change us, mold us. Make us more like your son, Jesus. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jack, is it okay if I kind of move this, Jack? Can I move this back? Because I don't think I'm going to knock it over, and that would just be awful. So, in the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13, we learned last weekend that Paul's kind of setting up the whole chapter. And instead of reading the first three verses like we did last week, and that's where we focused all of our time, I'm going to attempt right now to reframe those verses as if Paul was writing them today in our current language, in our current life situation, okay? So if you want to look at your text, you can do that, but I'm going to try to, to speak it in words that are current and relevant for today and get the same point across that Paul's trying to teach. So here we go. If I have the ability to tweet like Donald Trump and gain as many Instagram followers as Joe Biden, but have not love, I'm nothing but a poster child for Fox and CNN News. If I have the ability to get a B.A. from U.T.A., an M.B.A. from T.C.U., and a doctorate of anything from S.M.U., but have not love, I'm nothing but a sheepskin in fancy frames. If I drive a Tesla, have solar panels, and recycle to save the planet. If I have the ability, and I can, and I do, raise a billion dollars for a startup, get written up in the Wall Street Journal, and ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. If I figure out a way to do my education of my kids online at home without killing them, if I can guarantee you football in the fall, If I can hit a dinger farther than Joey Gallo, if I can sign Dak to a guaranteed five-year contract, if I can somehow look better than Luca, if I could outbrand Michael Jordan, if I could create a mask that will not propagate pimples on a 65-year-old? <laughs> if I could create a vaccine that had zero side effects for any demographic, 
if I can do any of that, and I don't have love, I'm as relevant as a rotary phone or MySpace. <laughs> Paul is saying in these first three verses, the purpose of life is to receive the love of God, love God back, and then love others in the same way. Period. This God to propagate and create the purpose of life is for people to become 100% top grade, shelf of the very best of the best, protein saturated, gluten fat free, 100% loving people rooted in the gospel of who Jesus Christ is, period. And the purpose of Pathway Church is to share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. And last week, we defined that as a million and one aha moments, an emphasis on the one, one more, and one more, and one more, and one more, going, aha, that's what God is like, that's who God is, because of the way they experience you. And so I am, I am asking, I'm calling out the people who call Pathway Home, whether you're in the house or you're online, wherever you live, you're in the sanctuary, wherever you are, I'm calling us out and challenging us to make the main purpose, the purpose in your life is to learn what it means to really love. Because we live in a world where there's so much anger and so much hatred and so much political polarity and division and dividing and infighting and defensiveness and offensiveness and posting this and doing all of that. And the world just needs the church to be the church, to leave the church, to leave the building and to go out and be the church in the world. And it begins with the understanding of that thing called love. I mean, what the Bible says about it. And so that's where we are. And the Apostle Paul, he, he begins these first three verses. I mean, he, he's taking them to the woodshed to let them understand what love really amounts to. And then they go, well, hey, okay, this is the purpose. And then I can hear them singing. Before he ever starts verse 4, they're going to sing. They're singing, I want to know what love is. And Paul begins to write out verses 4 on. This is what love is. That's where it goes. And we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks as we go through this series. Now, what you need to understand is that everything Paul knew about love, he learned through the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And so you really can't even understand this text at all unless you know a little bit of something about who Jesus is. Because that's where he learned it. And so I'm going to ask you a question for those of you who think you know who Jesus is. 
I've got a question in the very first thing in your notes. Is give me one word that describes Jesus. I want to encourage you to write it down. Uh, put, type it in the chat. If you're watching online, just type in the chat. One word for you. The one word that for you best describes who Jesus is. I don't care what it is. Just think about it. Put it in your notes. Write it down. Whatever. One word. Whatever it is. Just, I'll give you just a few seconds. Grab it. Just think about it. Write it. Now, I'm going to guess. Just get a wild guess. Somebody probably wrote down Jesus' love. That's what we're talking about. So it's a great word. True. Somebody may say Jesus is Lord. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talks a lot about go him to I am Lord. Play the Apostle Paul. He is Lord. Very important. Yes, that's true. Maybe somebody said Savior. Maybe somebody said healer. Maybe somebody said protector. Maybe somebody said friend. He talks about being a friend to sinners. He's a friend. Redeemer? King? All good words. All from the Bible. Uh, Years ago, we lost a man. Uh, We pastor types lost a man that was kind of a mentor spoken to pastor's life. His name was Dallas Willard. He just had a heart for ministers and mentoring and encouraging and lifting up all across this land. And Dallas Willard is doing a little small group. He's a great writer, a great student of Jesus. He's doing a little mentoring. And he throws out this question. Hey, guys, hey, give me, gals, uh, give me one word to you that describes Jesus. Everybody goes around the room. Hey, Jesus, one word, one word. Gets to Dallas Willard. Here's the word he used. Boom. Relaxed. Anybody have that word? Anybody write down that word? Relaxed? You go, well, it's not in the Bible. Why would I think of that word? It doesn't sound very religious. Doesn't sound very holy. But when you think about it, and you really know who Jesus is, pretty good word. Did you know that Jesus knew what his purpose was in life at age 12? How many of you at age 12 knew what your purpose in life was? He knew at age 12. He knew his job was to be the king of the Jews, the king of the Gentiles, eventually the savior of the world. He knew it. And yet, instead of getting on it right then, 13, age 14, age 15, age 16, age 19, age 20, age 23, you know what he's doing? 24, 29, you know what he's doing? He's in a carpentry shop in a little old alley, cutting boards, gluing them together with his dad till his dad, we think, dies. And people go, hey, Jesus, the world needs you. The world's falling apart. He goes, yeah. When the time is right, I'll get to it. He's just relaxed. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist shows up. Hey, guess what? Jesus is showing up. He's about to do it. I mean, it's like a rock band, right? You have the front band, and the job of the front band is to get everybody ready for the real band. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, just kind of warm up the crowd for the real band that's coming on. So John the Baptist shows up, and he's getting everybody excited. Jesus is coming. Here he comes. Here he comes. You know what Jesus does the very first thing? He goes camping for 40 days. All by himself in the wilderness. Unhurried prayer with God. Pretty relaxed. We'll get to it when it's time. Over in Luke chapter 4, he preached his first message. 
and it's in his hometown of Nazareth. And it's a great message. And he's just telling them about, about, about the importance of, you know, of loving people, you know, outside the, fa- outside the faith and outside the circle. you got to reach out. you got to go. Those people are the most important. You just can't focus on here. And they didn't like the message so much. And the scripture says they were going to throw him over a cliff. Now, I will tell you, if I show up here some Sunday morning and I'm teaching and I hear there's a rumor you're going to throw me over a cliff, I'm walking out that door and going to my car as fast as I can. I'm avoiding you. But look what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4, verse 30. It says, he walked right through the crowd. Just so chill, went on his way like, big deal. What are you going to do, really? Can't touch this. (laughs) Over in John chapter 2, he's going to drive the money changers out of the temple. Famous story. And Jesus, in John chapter, he's braiding his own whip. And you're thinking, okay, you're braiding the whip. Why didn't you get a pre-braided whip? Why don't you do a miracle and just whip a whip up? Or why don't you have somebody else braid the whip? They're going to get away, and you got to whip up on them. He goes, eh, I'll braid my own whip. They're not going anywhere. I got it. John chapter 4, Jesus is going to... Galilee, he takes a little side trip through Samaria. No good Jew does that. He tells the disciples to go on ahead. He goes and sits down by this well, just chills out. He's tired. He's thirsty. And uh, this woman comes along. Now, it's a Samaritan woman, and she's been divorced five times, and now she's shacked up with another guy. And no good Jew would be hanging out male by around a woman like that. Yet Jesus is sitting by the side of the well talking to her like he's, she's his grandmother. Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you so uptight? We're just having a conversation. He was so relaxed. Not too long after that, they're out on the Sea of Galilee. Storm comes up. Disciple fishermen, they're all worried and panic. Somebody tell me, what's Jesus doing? He's taking a what? A nap. <coughs> you go home this afternoon, your spouse or your kids go, what are you doing? You're taking a nap. we got to get this done. You go, hey, listen, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. <laughs> Relax. There was one time all the disciples came to me and said, Jesus, people are leaving you. You're teaching so hard. They think your teaching's hard. We've got to get to, we're losing power in our movement. The movement's going to die. We've got to get to Jerusalem and make it happen. We need some momentum. He says, oh, God, why are you so uptight? It's not time yet to go to Jerusalem. We'll, we'll, we'll get there eventually. He was most relaxed with the disciples. Uh, the disciples, they were pretty slow. Uh, They were slow to know really who he was. They were slow to understand what he taught. They were slow to obey. They were slow uh, to trust him. They were slow to serve. They misunderstood him. They abandoned him. They denied him up to the very end. And Jesus finally, 
finally makes this little diagnosis of their situation. After the resurrection, he's on the road with Emmaus with some of his disciples. Uh, they don't even know it's him. And in verse 25 of chapter 24, he says, Hey, guys, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Now, if you're a leader of an organization, you're a boss, the last thing you want your team being called is slow. Right? But Jesus handpicked these guys. They were his team that he picked. And his expectations were off the chain, so demanding. But not once did he demean them for being slow. Not once did he threaten to swap them out for somebody else. Why? Because he was teaching them. And he's teaching you and me, even right now. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. And love is kind. See, relax is a pretty good word to describe Jesus. Because when you understand what it means for Jesus to be relaxed... It deepens your understanding of love, and it deepens your understanding of patience. And love is patient. Now, most of us here, when you think about patience, you think about gritting your teeth. Oh, just help me be patient with those kids. I'm going to get them. Just give me the money. You know what I'm talking about. Just give me the patience to put up with those bozos and then, oh. Um, anybody know anybody a teeth gritter when it comes to patience? Uh, Jesus wasn't a teeth gritter. Jesus wasn't on the short fuse just waiting to. The disciples never once said, hey, uh, be careful for Jesus. He woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something. <laughs> uh, never happened. Not because he didn't have a lot to do. Not because he didn't have a lot of responsibility. Not because he didn't feel a whole lot of pressure. Not because he didn't have a whole lot of stuff to worry about or think about. But because the scripture says God is love. Jesus is God in the flesh. And love is patient. But we are not. Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes another little letter. And in this letter, he lays out what's called the fruits or virtues of the Spirit. Uh, some of you have seen these, read these, heard about these. Verse 22, it goes like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Really, that word is patience, kindness, goodness, <coughs> faithfulness, gentleness, generous and self-control, the two that I think I, I didn't get there on the scripture. And so look, look at those. These are the fruits of the Spirit. Now here's what I think. Here's what I believe. That if you were to look at those and you were to go, okay, which one of those do I need help with the most? I believe with all my heart that the survey would show patience. Because I hear all the time, 
Pastor, just pray that I can have patience. Pray that God would get, that if we took a survey here, but we're not going to take a survey because I'm impatient. It would take too long. So you're just going to have to trust me. That so many of us are impatient. In your notes, if you're taking notes, number two, patience is the most underrated virtue in our culture. This is my opinion. Not the Bible talking. This is me talking. My opinion. Most bosses, most leaders, they don't want their team to think of them as patient. And they don't want to think of themselves as patient if they're a boss or a leader because you think that means wimp. That means weaning. That means you're soft. That means you're not sold out to the mission, that you're not doing the job, reaching the bottom line, taking care of the shareholders, getting the job done because you've you're, you got to be impatient to make that happen. You've got to be on the job. You think it means apathy. You think it means no accountability. But that's not what the scriptures say at all. You can be patient and still be on mission. You can be, on pa- you can be patient and still hold people accountable. You can be patient and still not tolerate apathy. It's exactly what Jesus did. Now, I- I'm going to suggest, and I'm gonna, I-, I believe, that patience is harder today than it was in the days of Jesus. At the same time, I'm going to tell you, I- I'm not one of these people that believe in the good old days. Oh, you know, back in the good old days, it was so much better. I mean, the world today is going to hell in a handbasket. Can I tell you, the world's been going to hell in a handbasket ever since Cain slew Abel. The world is not any worse today than it was then. It's just not. That's stuff you and I say to make us feel better about ourselves. But I would argue, I would, I, I would make the case that because of the rapid advancement of technology and how rapidly it changed and how much it's a part of our culture and our lives, that it is more difficult to be patient today. Uh, one of our sons, Jacob, turned us on to this uh, show on Netflix about history, History 101, and we saw the very first ones about fast food. Maybe some of you saw it. Fascinating. Uh, food's been around forever. Fast food just came around in our gener- my, my generation. And you know why we created fast food? Not for the taste and not for the cost. We created fast food because it's fast. And first of all, for fast food, you would go into the, to the fast food restaurant. You would order the fast food and sit down and dine in and eat it there. But that wasn't fast enough, so we created a drive through So you could go through and get it and drive fast and eat fast while you're driving just like God intended in his word, right? We have speed dating, self-checkout, overnight delivery, and if you don't get it to me overnight, (laughs) buddy, you're on my list. Overnight. Instant messaging We text, we don't even spell out all the words. We just abbreviate. Takes too long to spell the whole word. And I don't have to edit my text. I got auto-correct. It just does it for me. 
Don't have time. I got to get it there ASAP. The CEO of Netflix, Reed Hastings, they now have two, just recent, here in the past couple of weeks, they've got a new CEO, an additional CEO at uh, Netflix, but when he was the only one here just a few uh, months ago who had been challenged about all the streaming, the new streaming folks trying to capture the audience, and this is, that he was asked, who is your greatest competition? This was his answer. Here's the greatest competition. Our greatest competition is sleep. Netflix has strategy meetings to find out ways where you don't sleep, where you'll just stream and binge continuously. Amazing. Thomas Edison invented that light bulb in 1879. And when the light bulb comes, all of a sudden it doesn't have to be night anymore. It can be day all the time. And before Thomas Edison came on the scene, did you know the historians will tell you that the average American slept 11 hours a night? You read about Thomas, you read about John Wesley, this great a theologian who started Methodism, who got up at 4 o'clock in the morning to read his Bible and to pray for two hours. You go, wow, what a spiritual giant. Maybe not so much. He went to bed at 7 o'clock at night. The candle just died and there was no light had nothing else to do go to sleep Jesus probably slept about 11 hours a night some of you would be patient and kind if you slept 11 hours a night <laughs> try it and the Bible says once you become a follower of Jesus Christ you no longer conform to the patterns of this world and the pattern of this world is to be impatient. But impatience destroys marriages. Impatience will cause your kids to leave you and not come home when they're old enough to not come home. Impatience will cause your employees or your staff to quit and go work somewhere else. And impatience will cause you to become a shallow person. A shallow, shallow, shallow person. I don't want to read. I don't want to finish that assignment. I don't want to stick to this diet. I don't want to stick to this plan. I don't want to stick to the budget. I don't want to work on the marriage. Taking too long. Should be already perfect by now. I don't want to obey what God says in his word about my sexual behavior. I want it now. I want what I want, and I want it now. But love is love is kind. I came across this prayer written by a uh, Catholic priest, kind of a, a monk, mystic, and he's French. It's called Patient Trust. It's kind of long, 
uh, but I'm going to read it because all of it because we're not in a hurry, right? <laughs> Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. Uh, we should like to skip all the intermediate steps. We're impatient of being on the way to something unknown, uh, something new. And yet it's the law of all progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability. That it may take a very long time, and so I think it is with you, your ideas, they mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what only time, that is grace and circumstance, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. So what is patience? In your notes, patience is the ability to be relaxed in the present moment, is to be relaxed in the present moment, no matter what the circumstance, to be in the moment, to be in the moment, not trying to get there, not trying to go backwards, be in the moment, whatever it is, and just to be in the moment. It's to live in the tension between the immediacy of the action that has to be done right now, right now, right now, and the reality of the importance of people on the other end of that action. To live in the tension between the now and the not yet and to live in the moment, even if it means long-suffering until God does what he's going to do. Do you know how, you know what happened last Wednesday? You may know what happened last Wednesday? Anybody know? Anybody know what last Wednesday was? National Oyster Day. I can't believe you didn't know that. I cannot believe you just didn't go out and just eat all these oysters and everything like that. Uh, it was. And you know how long it, you know how a, an oyster makes a pearl? I mean, have you any idea how an oyster makes a pearl? It's kind of interesting. Um, you know the average pearl has a value of about $300 to $1,500. But they actually discovered a pearl that weighed 75 pounds. It was worth $100 million. Incredible. And here's how an oyster makes a pearl. It needs both time and an irritant. Here's how it works. Time and an irritant. There's an irritant that comes into the oyster. And the oyster secretes this little uh, uh, enzyme called nacre to protect itself from the irritant. And it gives some of itself. And it puts a layer over the irritant. And over time... Layer after layer after layer after layer after layer to all of a sudden you have this illustrious thing called a pearl. It takes 20 years for an oyster to make one pearl. The average pearl, the average oyster lives uh, 40 years. That's two pearls a lifetime. Time and an irritant. In your notes, an irritant and time is needed to produce patience. By God's grace, you'll have time. And by God's grace, you will have an irritant. 
Some of you are sitting next to your irritants right now. If you don't have an irritant, if you will call the church, we have a list. We'll give you one, just in case. A great example, this is David, who was so patient with Saul, who was his irritant. David, anointed king as a child, had to wait for jealous Saul to die to become king. And Saul was his irritant. And then when he got to become king, David asked a question in 2 Samuel 9, 1. Is there anyone in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Because love is patient. And then love is kind. And there was. The son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul. And he took him into his house and fed him and protected him and honored him. So here's your question of the week. To whom can I show patience and kindness this week? To whom can it be? To whom can I show patience and kindness? You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need a certification or a degree. Just to ask every day, today, to whom will I show kindness and patience? Now, I'm aware of the time, but we're not in a hurry. But I'm going to quickly give you your skill training, your homework for the week. And there's three things. And here's the first one. The first one is to slow down. And here's a practical example. All week long, when you come to a stop sign, I want you to stop. <laughs> All four tires, complete stop. And say, God, give me The speed limit is 35. You're going to drive. You act like you don't know. <laughs> You're going to drive what? 35. This week, drive the speed limit. Whatever it says, drive it. If you have to be in the slow lane, drive in the slow lane. You'll be three minutes later than it It's amazing. We hurry so much. When you come to a signal light, it's red. There's a car in front of you, and it turns green, and they don't go. Don't go. <laughs> Say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and just bless them. Why is it in all parts of our we see people as the enemy? Get out of my way. Get out of my way. Hurry. I got to get here. I got to get that. You got to slow it down. Right now, some of you are already planning your exit from here. <laughs> as fast as you can to get to your car. You're in such a hurry. Well, why can't he finish this so I can get out of here? <laughs> I know. What if this morning you slowed it down and actually looked around and connected with someone who needed just a little encouragement? 
Because the second one here, the second homework is to notice people. You see, we're in such a hurry that we overlook people. You look past people. You don't see people. You don't even, you don't even notice what's going on. Look beyond the mask and look into their eyes. See their shoulders. Actually see the people. Some of you don't even know who's sitting behind you right now. You can't tell me what they're wearing. You don't know if it's male or female, if it's a child or an adult. You don't even know because you totally overlook the people that are around you. You don't see them. And when you don't see people, Jesus was the great noticer. He saw Zacchaeus up in the tree hiding. He saw the blind Bartimaeus. People stepped over him. Jesus saw him. The woman touched his cloak. Hundreds of people. One woman touched his cloak. Power left. He noticed it. And the disciples, they said, children, get out of the way. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Jesus noticed. He said, let the children come unto me. And he stopped, and he noticed them, and he blessed them. I just got to ask you, do you notice people? Or are you in such a hurry? And there's the last one. Forgive quickly. It's kind of an oxymoron. Right? Long-suffering, but forgive quickly. Slow it down, but forgive quickly. Uh, my wife uh, pulled into the driveway. We had an ice storm here uh, you know, over the wintertime, and I'm at home working. The garage door goes up. She pulls in the garage, and she gets I say, hey, babe, glad you're home. What have you been doing? Why didn't you answer my text? What are you talking about? Man, the ice storm, it was terrible out there on I-20. I didn't know if I was going to make it home from Dallas to get here. Your mom called me. She checked on me. Uh, your son's called. They checked on me. Didn't you know I-20 was almost shut down, and I was stuck out there, and blah, blah. And I'm going, ho, 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 ho. My text was on silent. I had work to do. I just can't check the Internet all day long and know what's going out there. Some of us have to work all day long and don't get to drive back and forth and everything else. You've got to own your drive home, babe. I mean, you want to kind of wiggle your nose and put me in the car or something okay, but how would I? Not one of my better moments <laughs> as a husband. Whew. Oh, we had a good conversation. <laughs> I learned a lot. <laughs> and I will tell you, sometimes I just wonder, why doesn't my wife turn me in and get a new one. Because sometimes I'm a pretty sorry husband. But I know why she doesn't. She loves me. And love is patient. And love is kind. And love forgives quickly. Because to not to love is to keep a record of wrongs and to hold it over their head and just push them into the ground for how sorry they are. But God, in his great kindness and mercy, loves us just the way we are. And the challenge is to give away what you have received. Here's how we'll end. This right here is a picture of two ladies in my life. A young lady and an older lady that I love more than life itself. 
This is my granddaughter, Lennox. She's almost three. This is my mother, Jane. She's almost 83. On Friday, I wound up having Lennox, just me and her, the two of us, Papa and Lennox, all day long, just the two of us. We just played and laughed, and she crawled all over me, and her skin was so soft and so smooth and perfect. Just the light of my eye. Later on that night, I took her over to see my mom and dad, and my mom and Lennox were playing, and Lennox climbed to my mother's lap, and it just kind of hit me again. I'm in this time of reflection about life, you know. As I looked at Lennox's perfect, pure, smooth skin, I thought, you know, my mom, she used to be exactly like that. Uh, one day she was, she was three. And I look at Lennox, and you know, God willing, God allowing, God's grace, one day, one day little Lennox, my little Lennox, she's going to kind of look like my mom. The marks of life. And in between that almost three or almost 83 year there's something called life and it's a gift. You don't earn it. You can't ask for it. You can't buy it. It's just a gift. And all you can do is receive it. And every second, every moment of your life, it's a gift. You can hurry it. You can wish it away. You can waste it away. It's your choice. can practice, receive, and give away what God has given you. Love is patient. Love is kind. I'd encourage you to do it today. Not tomorrow. Not tonight, but soon. Because you never know. You never know. You never know. No regrets today. Patience. While we sit here just for a moment, as we wrap up this time of worship, just being still in your presence, receiving, 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 receiving your kindness, receiving your love, receiving your patience, receiving it, receiving it through the love of Jesus, we receive. to 
give away what you have given to us. You remember the Father, you know the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit.